Amen. It's great to, every Sunday to worship together. If, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, and I know I got to meet a couple people. This is your first Sunday here, and so welcome. We're thrilled that you're here. Uh, and for the rest of you who have come back, uh, we're glad you're here too. Um, but we are excited to continue kind of into our series in Psalm 23. So if you have a Bible, you could turn to Psalm 23, or you can uh, open up your uh, Element City Church app, click on Sermon Notes, and that'll take you to kind of the notes and scriptures we're looking at tonight, and you can follow along there. So we started a couple weeks ago in verse 1. We said we had this challenge in January. We're going to memorize Psalm 23. And some of us were like, yeah, we could do that because you're like a firstborn and you're driven. And for the others of you, you're like, oh, I forgot about that. Uh, and that's okay. So I want you to think back the very first verse Remember, this is about a shepherd. Okay, so the very first verse, the Lord is shepherd. I lack nothing or I shall not want, depending on kind of the version that you have there. So you got the first verse. You're great. You're na- you got this. You can do it. And so by the end of January, we're trying to memorize this whole, uh, this whole chapter, which is only six verses. You can do it. But it's this idea, the Lord is my shepherd. And what we said the very first week is this quote from A.W. Tozer that says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's profound. Because what he's getting at is this idea of how you see God. If you see him accurately, if you see him how the scriptures describe, there's a lot of people that have a view of God that's very distorted and very broken. And it doesn't, is not backed up by scriptures. But how you see God matters because it will influence and impact the way you live and the way you interact and the way you relate and the way you connect. And so he's pointing to this idea that all throughout the scripture, from beginning to end, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the scriptures over and over are painting pictures. Here's what God's like. And that's really what David is doing here in Psalm 23. He says, this is what God is like. The Lord is your shepherd. You lack nothing. And that is the frame of which we filter through the whole rest of the other five verses. It begins there. You have to understand that. The Lord is your shepherd. And what he wants you to see is he wants you to see God clearly. Because the more we see God clearly, the easier it is to trust him completely. And it matters how we see God. The Kind of the series takeaway we said the very first week was this. Your success your spiritual growth, your quality as a sheep. Remember we said we're sheep because he's the shepherd. That means we're the sheep. Some of us are like, I don't want to be sheep. They're weak and dumb and yeah. Okay, there you go. Um, Your success, your growth and quality as a sheep will be completely dependent upon your proximity to the shepherd, to the good shepherd. It matters that we stay close because it's in his proximity that things change. And that's how David is painting this. Last week, we looked at this idea that verses two and three, really right out of the gate, is all about rest. And for a people who are live under pressure, for a pressured people, this idea of rest is a difficult challenge at times because we want to go and do, we want to be active, we want to be out there. And God's not saying, hey, go do that. There will be things for that. But first off, it's just rest. It really is the gospel. We're not trusting in what we do. We're trusting in what Jesus did and what he accomplished. And so as we start a relationship with Jesus, it's about rest. The Lord is your shepherd. Now rest. And that's where we find uh, where we live. Now, the Lord will call you forward. That's John chapter 10. And Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I call my sheep by name and they follow me. And so there is gonna be activity and adventure and all that, but it begins with this idea of identity of the Lord is my shepherd. 
And so I'm going to be at rest because he's the one that makes me lie down in green pastures. He's the one that leads me beside quiet waters. He's the one that restores my soul. He's going to guide me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But it begins there. And then we get to verse 4 and 5. That's what we're going to look at tonight. We'll wrap it up next week verse 6. So this idea of things that, that begin to take shape and begin to become more challenging. Anyone ever had a challenge in life? You might identify with this verse. Here's what it says. David writes, even though I walk through the darkest valley, maybe the valley of shadow of death, maybe your scripture says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows but the journey begins in the valley. Now, I'm pretty sure that if I could just have a conversation, we had coffee, just you and me, you could tell me about some mountaintop experiences in your life. Some of those high joys and adventures and excitement where life was really, really good. You might be able to share some of those. Pretty sure you would. I'm 100% certain that if we had enough trust and we were having coffee, you could share about the valleys that you've been in, because everybody faces valleys. Maybe it was a loss, maybe it was a rejection, maybe it was just something that didn't go your way or go as planned, maybe it was a a defeat uh, or something that happened in your life. Maybe it was a setback, maybe it was a failure, maybe it was just an overwhelmed season of fear or rejection. Maybe it was disappointment, depression, whatever it may be, my hunch is, Every single one of us have logged time in the valley. There's an old Arab proverb uh, that says this, all sunshine and no rain makes a desert. Meaning if you never have downtimes, if you never have those dark moments, you're gonna be dried up because that's where the rain comes. It's good times, it's challenging times that make up a mature person. It's all of the above, it's failures and successes, it's victory and defeat. It's mountaintops and valleys, and we all log time in the valley. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So David writes this. It's interesting, the valley of the shadow of death is an actual place in Israel. Uh, You can go there, and the, the valley is really narrow, and it's really crooked as it goes through. And the reality is the sunlight only hits the bottom of the valley for about a few minutes each day when it's at high noon. The whole rest of the time, it's in the shadows. I wonder if that's why David wrote this. He probably took his sheep, remember he was a shepherd, and led them through this valley. He understands valleys. So how do you navigate the valleys of life. We'll kind of wrestle with that a little bit tonight, but just some observations about valleys. Uh, valleys are inevitable. Anyone ever spent some time in a valley? Not literally, maybe you did, awesome. Uh, but like in life, okay? They're unpredictable. They're usually not scheduled. They don't usually give you a heads up. They don't send an email. Hey, rough roads are coming. They just show up. Typically, uh, almost always, they're impartial. Meaning, it's not if I'm good enough, I'll avoid them. Or if I'm really bad, then that's when I'm gonna face a valley. 
choices obviously affect things, but they are impartial. Jesus said in Matthew 5, it rains on the just and the unjust. It's this idea that it's gonna happen. Now the other thing to recognize about valleys is they're, they're temporary. They're not a permanent address that we hang out in forever, they're seasonal. They, they tend to come and go. Now for some of you, you're like, no, 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 you don't know my season, it's permanent address. And that may be true, it may be a much longer season than others that face the valleys that come their way. But they can be purposeful. There's something that happens in our relationship and our walk with Jesus in the valleys that can't occur on a mountaintop. Now listen, you can get to know God and you can see God and hear from God and and experience him in incredible ways on the mountaintops. And I wish you a thousand mountaintops. But I'm here to tell you, it's in the valleys where you really get to know God, where you have the opportunity to grow your intimacy with your good shepherd like nowhere else because it's there where you're really focused. It's there where you're hurting. It's tough. And valleys are a part of life. And for some of you, I I know your story. And I know you've logged a lot of time in and out of valleys. And I'm so sorry. I know there's, there's challenges that are hard to overcome. But friend, if you'll open up your heart, I'm convinced that for those of you who've been mature Christians, walking with Jesus for a long time, I think you would validate this, that there's something about the intimacy and growth that can happen in the valleys of life that just don't happen outside of that. And there's a growth that can happen and can occur and can help you in your faith journey. God can and will build your faith in the valleys of life. We love to enjoy the mountaintops, and I hope you have thousands of them. But if you'll allow it, the Spirit can really build your faith a lot in the valleys. Faith is strengthened in the valleys. It's encouraged, uh, encouraged and nourished in the valleys because God wants to build your character more than he's interested in just maintaining your comfort. It's in those valleys where he can grow and nurture and stretch and use you in a lot of ways because ultimately he wants you and me to reflect Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here and you're like, okay, this is, maybe I'm first time back in a church in a while and I just wanna tell you, I'm so proud of you for being here. I know it takes guts coming to a new place and my hope is that you would see Jesus in a way that you just get curious about him because he's awesome. And maybe this seems a little dark or a little even like, ooh, heavy. That's okay. Because here's what I know about you. You've experienced heaviness in life. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For some of you, the valleys are really dark and they're really tough. And, and sometimes you get to the place in a valley where you just wanna quit. Anyone ever been there? You're like, I'm done. Throwing in the towel, this is too much. 
God, I don't know what you're thinking or, or understand what's going on here, and I don't feel you, and I don't sense you. And we can get to this place where it becomes really, really challenging. But it's there, in that moment, and in those moments, where we need to realize what David's trying to say here. Valleys will come. They will be a part of your life. But it's in those valleys you can recognize God's presence like nothing else in life, where you can begin to see God's up to something. Now, does God cause the valleys? No. God is a good God who cannot do evil. He cannot cause evil. But he can utilize accidents and tragedies and challenges and chaos for our good. We live in a broken world, amen? So bad things happen to good people and bad people. The brokenness of this world, it's not home. Remember, we're passing through. Heaven is what awaits us as followers of Jesus. That's where it's all right. That's where it's perfect. This is where the valleys are. And so there's gonna be challenges. That's why Paul writes in Romans 8, 28, a verse you can really hang on to. And we know that in all things, doesn't mean all things were good that happened. It could mean that some of the stuff that happened to you was really bad. And some of the stuff was maybe your bad choices and some of it could have been bad choices from other people that you got affected by. And it doesn't make it right. In fact, it could be wrong all the time, 100% of the time. But God has a way of recycling and even using that brokenness for your good. Doesn't mean it's good that it happened, but he can use it for good. God works for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So what do you do as you navigate the valleys of life? Can we wrestle with that a little bit? Maybe one thought is this. Refuse to stay discouraged and rebuff the urge to quit in the valley. I will fear no evil, David says. David is saying as a Christian, as a follower of God, you have a choice in those moments. I will walk. I will not run through a valley. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I see the valley, I'm gonna turn and run the other way. You don't go around a valley or over a valley. You have to go what? Through a valley. I walk through the valley confidently because I know you're with me. That's why I can be confident. That's why I can choose to not stay discouraged. You will be discouraged in moments and in those valleys come, but you can choose. I will not fear evil. It's a choice. I willingly make a decision. I will not be afraid. I will choose to not be focused just on my discouraging thoughts. I will choose not only to just look at the negatives around me. I will choose to look at Christ and what his power can do. It is our choice. For some of us, we, we need to get and force ourselves to get to that place where we can recognize that it is our choice. Because maybe we've lived in the valley longer than we needed to because we thought it was something we didn't have a choice. But you do. You can choose to say, I'm not gonna stay discouraged. How do you do that? I think it really starts with simply just putting more and more focus on God's power in your life and less and less focus on the problems of your life. 
I heard this said a long time ago, don't tell God how big your problem is, tell your problem how big your God is. It's changing your mindset to say, I don't have to be this. I don't have to live with a victim mentality. I can choose to say, I'm gonna put my focus more on God and his power to overcome my problems and overcome my situations. There is a difference of where I can put my focus. That's why you can put two people in the same situation, in the same chaos, in the same drama, and they can have totally different reactions. One, it can eat their lunch, and for the other, it builds them up. How is that? Because God's empowering one, they're choosing to say, God, you're with me. I will fear no evil, why? Because you're with me, I'm not alone. As a follower of Jesus, you will never, ever, ever face one second of a valley alone. That's why it's important for him to be your good shepherd. It's not about being spiritual. It's about being under the leadership of Jesus, where you recognize, okay, I can't do life without you, and you've created life for me to do life with you. That's why Jesus came, that we might be saved in his presence because we are limited beings. Uh, How many of you have edges? Yeah. You got edges, okay? You, you have, uh, you are an, a, a limited being. I think that's when the Ten Commandments are coming out, and it says, do not form any other gods or have images of other gods. It's because God has no limits. He has no edges. You do. I do. We are limited beings. We, we are not unlimited in our power. That's why going through trials and going through those valleys, you tend to get really drained. And in those moments, we need to rely on a power source that's greater than what you can muster. It's bigger than your willpower. Willpower is important. It's about your decision. But the valleys of life take more than just your willpower. That's why Colossians chapter 1 says this, God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when trouble comes. You can choose to say, I'm not going to focus on my circumstances. I'm going to focus on my Christ. I'm not going to focus on my situation. I'm going to focus on my Savior. I'm not going to get stuck in my problems. I'm going to look at God's power because his power is greater than my own power and what I can manufacture. And so I need to rely on him. It's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said to me, as Paul is dealing with his own valleys of life, my grace, speaking of Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul boasts and says, then let my weakness be seen. So I'm going to choose to say, I'm not going to stay discouraged. I'm going to rebuff the urge to want to quit. And I'm also going to choose this. I'm going to remember that God is with me. David says, uh, for you are with me. That's what changes everything. As a follower of Christ, you are never alone in what you battle. Isaiah 43 says this, when you go through the deep waters in great trouble, I will be with you, says the Lord. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Every single step of the valleys that you face and that you tretch through, you don't walk alone. God doesn't sit in heaven distracted or distant and say, well, good luck, hope you make it. (laughs) He's the good shepherd. And David says, I will fear no evil, why? Because you're with me. 
That's why I can go through valleys. That's why I can walk through them because you're with me. What's fascinating about this, just watch this. Verses one through three, right? David's talking about God. Third person pronouns. He, he makes me lie down. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Watch what happens in verse four. As I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Second person pronoun. The ultimate, talking about God, becomes the intimate, talking with God. And where does that take place? In the valleys. That's where your intimacy grows. God, you're with me. Even here, I can sense. That's why it goes from a religion about Jesus to a relationship with Jesus. He's trekking with me through these valleys. And I can rely on his protection. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's interesting as a shepherd, uh, a rod is about a two foot long, maybe wood piece of tree that they've carved out. It usually has a big knot on the end or maybe it's even a piece of metal that has been fashioned with something on the end. It's literally what a shepherd would use is this rod is they would have it on their belt and when an enemy or something was coming after the sheep, they would throw it like a missile and they were good at it. I don't know if you've ever been hunting before and you've been out there and you have like your big knife. It's not like a pocket knife. It's like the knife. You know, like Crocodile Dundee for you old people. That's a knife. Okay, so he takes this big giant knife, right? And maybe you throw it at the tree because you're trying to work on the aim of that. And it's about protection. That's what David's writing about. Your rod protects me. God is a protector at his very core that that's what we can rely on as we go through the valleys, that God's protection is over us. He's fighting for you, not against you. That's what we see through the scriptures. That's how you begin to get a clearer picture of what God's really like. He is for you. Jack, you don't understand. I've had so much happen. I, I get it. And I'm really sorry. I wish it was different. I really do. But have you seen God's activity even in the midst of the darkness? Maybe you didn't see it right away, but have you seen him? Have you seen him protecting and advancing even on your behalf, maybe even before you ever even recognized him or were willing to even admit that he was real? Have you seen him active, his protection over you, your rod, and your staff, the staff is obviously a shepherd's crook, right? We, we see that, and the shepherd can pull a sheep close, can help guide the sheep who's going off the, the narrow path and kind of push them back and lift them out of something with that to recognize that it's your rod and your staff, it's your presence that can protect and guide me as I go through these valleys, as I go through these struggles. That's what can be there. And then in verse five, we see this change, going from a field or a valley into this table and this banquet. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
And David's saying, this is what God's like. See, uh, the oil that he's speaking about as a shepherd would know that um, sheep are very susceptible uh, to everything. <laughs> it's just, that's why we said no one ever gets a tattoo of a sheep because they're not cool. Um, and so sheep are very susceptible to a lot of things, including flies. The interesting thing about sheep and flies is they don't have a long tail. Uh, they don't have a head that can really whip around or any hair that can get away. And so a fly can actually get up in around their eyes and their nose. And flies can actually go into the nostrils of sheep and begin to lay their larvae there. And baby flies begin to hatch. And that's why if you ever look at a field, and I know this is gross, if you ever look at a field of sheep and you ever see one that's banging their head against a rock, or banging their head against a tree, it's not because they're dumb. It's because they're being pestered and irritated by the flies. You anoint my head with oil. What shepherds would do is take a little bit of sulfur mixed with olive oil, and they would anoint the head of the sheep. Why? To act as insect repellent. That's what they would be doing to say the irritants, the things that irritate you, oh, I'm gonna try my best to keep those at bay and I will interact if this goes away and I'll give you more of that. Isn't it awesome that our good shepherd understands that life is irritating at times? And that he's active even in the midst of the irritations of life, that his activity wants to be, that's what David is saying is that he anoints my head with oil. Oil was also used as a salve, that for an open wound in a sheep, they would use this oil uh, as a shepherd would carry around, and that would be part of this ointment of just kind of helping heal up a wounded sheep. Because what we understand about valleys is we get hurt in the valleys. And what we need in that moment is to understand that it's Jesus who can begin to soothe our wounds. You anoint my head with oil that Jesus is the one to turn to when you're facing those hurts, that you don't have to carry them alone. The worst enemy of a sheep is a fly. How many of you hate flies? How many of you can identify with a sheep a little bit more right now? And God's saying, look, I'll, I'll be the one who helps heal up some of those hurts and those irritants. How does he do that? Well, that's why being a part of church matters. Part of that, he does that with one another. That fellowship and being in connection helps one another get through the irritants of life. That's why it's important uh, for worship. That's why sometimes you'll come here and, and life will be just a mess and you'll feel that and you'll feel like you're in a valley and then we just get here and worship and your attention goes to God and who he is and what he's like and it just lifts you in some ways. That's why worship matters because it's part of that healing process. That's why prayer matters. That's why serving matters, because it gets you outside of just you and what's all about you. It begins to stretch you to say, look, uh, I'm, I'm gonna take some of this hurt, I'm actually gonna invest in other people because I can be part, that can be part of my healing process in that. Because here's what we know about when we get hurt, we see it physically. Uh, I have a good friend who's in her 70s who was a former assistant at a job who broke her femur bone. How many of you know where the femur is? It hurts, okay? So it's like your leg bone, right? She breaks that at 77 and calls me this week. And so I go to the hospital and I'm sitting there for an hour with her and she doesn't move. Why? Take a wild guess. Because it hurts, right? That's why you don't move your leg. It hurts. And there's a couple seasons of healing. There is a season of be still, don't move. 
That's why the scriptures say to us, be still and know that I am God. And when you're in the valleys of life and you're facing the hurts of life, in those moments, sometimes you just need to be still and let God begin to do a healing work in your heart. But there's a second step to the healing process, and it's when someone called a physical therapist comes along. How many of you had to deal with a physical therapist? How many of you loved your physical therapist? No, no one loves their physical therapist. Why? Because they hurt you. Because you're used to being still. And it doesn't hurt if I'm still, but now as a physical therapist, I've got to get you moving. And they get you moving and it hurts like crazy. But listen, it's part of the healing process because you'll never get back to where you were or never get to better unless you go through that and go through that hurt. Now listen, I love you with all the compassion and empathy in my heart. Hear me. For some of you, you've been sitting being still because you got hurt. And the good shepherd, as your physical therapist, is telling you and prodding you and pushing you, it is time to start moving. And you're pushing back, saying, no, I just want to be still. I want to live with my hurt. And I'm here to tell you, that's fine for a season. But for some of you, you've been stuck as a victim for way too long. And it is time to let your good shepherd push you a little bit to get you outside of yourself and to begin the complete healing process that only comes when you start serving, you start giving your life away, you start doing things for other people, and you do stuff for yourself. And you cannot get there by just staying still. And so that's important for us to hear, and that may be hard to hear, but it's the truth that as we get moving, you will always have scars in life from your hurts. And you will always be the one who sees your scar. And in those moments when you see them, you have two options. One is to stare at the scar and remember the hurt. Or you can stare at the healer and remember the hope and the healing that he brings into your life. It is your choice. It is your decision. And what David is trying to paint here is that you have the opportunity to say, Jesus, I want you to be my healer. I also want you to be the one that satisfies my needs. Jesus is the one who can satisfy our needs. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. In a biblical sense, an overflowing cup is a symbol of total satisfaction. It means I've got everything I need. How did this whole chapter start? The Lord is my shepherd, I lack, what, nothing. He's the supplier of our needs. Jesus is the one who can supply our needs. For a lot of us, we go through life and we actually pick up extra hurt because we try to put the ultimate satisfaction of someone meeting our needs on someone else. Especially maybe if you're married. You end up saying, well, my spouse is the one that has to meet all my needs. No, your spouse is not Jesus. And you definitely are not for them. And so it's this challenge to say, okay, people can meet some of my needs. That's important. It's necessary. But it's Jesus who ultimately meets my needs. He's the one that can help my cup overflow with hope, an unconditional, unrelenting kind of hope, an unconditional, unrelenting kind of love, an unconditional, unrelenting kind of joy. He's where I will find those answers, not in someone else. 
my cup overflows. What's interesting, in a Middle East tradition, is this phrase, my cup will overflow. Hang with me here. In the Middle East, they would have this tradition, being a very hospitable people. And so whether you were a stranger, whether you were a friend, and you would come over, you would be offered some water or wine as a guest. And so you would show up at the house, and they would say, well, can I get you some water? Can I get you some wine? And they would fill your cup. And then you would have a conversation. You would hang out. You would converse and connect, and you would talk for a while. All the while, you would maybe be drinking your cup. And so it would go down. And then your friend, your host, would say, well, can I get you some more? And so they would pour back, more back into your cup. They would help you. Now, when the host had decided that your time of being in their presence was done and your cup was getting low because you were drinking it in conversation and having that there and get it low, they would look at you. loved our conversation. You would look at your cup. They also would look at your cup. And they would not offer to fill it back up. And you would know that your time is done. It's time to move it on. So when David writes, my cup overflows, What's he saying? He's picking up on this tradition. Because here's what would happen when your host really loved your presence. They would not just fill your cup. In a desert, you don't waste water. You certainly don't waste wine. But when your host valued you, when they thought you were significant, when you were very special, they would fill your cup to overflowing and they would be telling you, you are always welcome in my presence. Friends, you have a good shepherd who doesn't just fill your cup, but who anoints your head with oil, prepares a table for you, he takes the initiative. And your cup overflows because he thinks you're special. He thinks you're valuable. He thinks you're significant. And he loves for you to be in his presence. Your success, your spiritual growth, spiritual quality as a sheep will be completely dependent upon your proximity with the shepherd. A shepherd who says, your cup overflows. So even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they're protecting me. You're a protector at your core. You're guiding me. That's what you care about. You're not aloof, you're not distant, you're not distracted. You're guiding me. 
You are the one who prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil to help me overcome the irritations of life, to help me heal up from the hurts and the wounds that I face. My cup overflows. Because Lord, you're my shepherd and I lack nothing. So Father, as we lean into this, it's an incredible chapter that you have used from century to century to century to inspire your people. Father, for each one of us, we've been through valleys. For some of us right now, this is a season of a valley that we're traversing through. And we need to know that you're our good shepherd who is with us, even in the valleys. That you will protect and you will guide. You'll actually even prepare something good for us and invite us to it. That you're the one who's gonna anoint our head with oil. You're the one who fills our cup to overflowing. So as we come to a time of of communion, we remember, Jesus, that you said you're the good shepherd and that you know your sheep and you call them by name. That you're not the shepherd who ditches out on responsibilities like the hired hand. You're the good shepherd who even lays down his life for the sheep. And so we remember that, that it was your body broken, your blood shed for the reconciliation of us to a holy God and the forgiveness of our sins and our brokenness, our faults, that makes us right with you. And so in these next few minutes as we take communion, as we contemplate and just sit and think about what you're doing, your activity in our life, I pray that this chapter would continue to take root within our heart and that you would call us to be a people. For some of us, we need to choose to stop being discouraged. We need to choose not to quit. For others of us, we need to go to the full healing. We need to stop just sitting and being still. We need to actually get out beyond ourselves and realize that's part of your healing too. Maybe we need reminded that you're the one who anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows because of you. And so would you help us to reflect you, to lean into you in these moments to come as we finish up tonight. Would you speak to us? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.